Our scripture lesson today is in Matthew 28, the first 10 verses. And we invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Reading out of the New Living Translation this day. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and the clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, on this most special of mornings, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts and minds be pleasing and acceptable and an offering unto you, our Lord, our Savior, our Rock, our Redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. He is risen. Please be seated. Are you ready for Easter? Yeah. <laughs> Knuckle punch. Blow it up. That was good. <laughs> Moments like that, I wish we were videotaping, you know? I mean, we're, we got the audio. I hope it picked it up. Are you ready for Easter? If you could pick your own best news ever. Let's say that you had the privilege of saying, okay, when I go home and I turn on the news, let's just imagine if I could say what would be the news I would most greatly hope for. Now, some of these are going to sound like contestants for Miss America being asked what they want before all others because you know world peace is going to show up in there. How about this week after all of the news that has been going back and forth? Do you think, oh, it would be the best news ever to have no war and no conflict abroad in the land? How about this? No famine anywhere. I mean, we're in a world today where there doesn't have to be famine. If there is famine now, it is mostly because of the politics and the money not going where it ought to. How about this? Sickness cured. How about cancer? How about debilitating disease? How about autism? How about depression? 
All of this has now been cured. Wouldn't that be the best news ever? How about this, although it would create its own problems, how about someone came on the news and said, look, we figured out why we all get old. And we know how to stop it, and not only stop it, we know how to reverse it. Mm. Now, I've asked my wife, you know if they had a pill that you could take and you would live to 300, would you take it? She said, no, but if I throw on top of that, would you take it if you would go back to looking in your 20s or 30s even? She, I think that might sell her on it. Best news ever. How about this? How about, well, it's not happened yet to the whole world, but the process has already started, and by this beginning of it, you know that the rest of the world eventually will be caught up. That is what we mean when we say he is risen. Because although this is a celebration about Christ, ironically, it's not all just about him because he came for all of us. So it's about all of us and this entire world as well. For he is risen means that one day what has started with him will be fulfilled in the entire world. And we must repeat, retell, share this story with the upcoming generations. We've been sharing it for 2,000 years now, but we must keep this story going because it is a promise not only that is certain, but also is one of the found rock promises for why this world foundational bedrock promises for why this world is a bit better than it used to be. Why there is less famine. Why there have been more sicknesses cured. Why there have been hospitals and charities set up. And why there is a hope for tomorrow. You know, one of the Best philosophies going around 2,000 years ago is still going around today. It is basically this. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You only go around once. Have a good time while you're doing it. And some people try to have such a good time while they're going around that they shorten their journey. I won't ask how many of you have bungee jumped. Or jumped out of an airplane. As I heard this week, don't tie your own ropes and guesstimate it. That doesn't end well. The glorious part of Easter is the promise, but it is also the truth that Christ has risen in history in defiance of the meaninglessness and death which tends to characterize the world and its life without Christ. You know, sometimes we get kind of snobbish in all of our wonders of technology and our uh, post-moonshot era and our thoughts of going to Mars and, oh, wouldn't that be neat? And... Uh, <clears> hmm. <throat> 
I don't think I'm going to be able to afford a ride on SpaceX, but I'd love to do it. I say that even though I have to take a nausea pill if I get on a merry-go-round sometimes. Still totally worth it. But even 2,000 years ago, you can bank on this. People knew that dead people stayed dead. They were not more gullible than us. And they had many philosophies, some of which are basically just forms of what we have today. Many of the Gentiles believed, oh, you know, just have as much fun as you can because you only go around once and then after that, that's it. Some believed, though they were very, you know, religious in some ways, some believed that, well, the body was horrible and corrupt and the whole purpose was to free the spirit, which is good. So it basically came down to the same thing. The body does whatever it wants to. It only goes around once. But then afterwards, your spirit is free, you know. They had a hard time with the resurrection. Why would Jesus return to a bodily existence. The Jewish people were divided. Some of them said, no, there's no resurrection from the dead. Some of them said, yes, there was, but I think it was more like a resuscitation like Lazarus or a part of simply the end time and something they weren't going to speculate in too much. Even some sophisticated Christians back then were thinking, well, maybe it wasn't all that. Maybe it was just something spiritual. The Corinthians were asking this kind of thing. And Paul, being Paul, didn't just say it concisely. Paul said it. He went the long way around. Paul takes the scenic route. He must have been a preacher in fact. If Christ has not been raised, this is in 1 Corinthians 15 starting with verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless. Your faith is useless. We apostles would be lying about God for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection from the dead. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ himself has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. You're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Paul was very forthright. And you know, sometimes our in our modern conceit, well, well, the Bible is about truth, but uh, the things that happen in history are uh, about facts. And I don't know why I'm trying to sound like William F. Buckley here, but I am. That doesn't work with Easter. Because Paul did have it right. If Jesus was not alive again on that first Sunday in a way no one had ever been alive before, then the whole thing is a cheat and we are left with the pointlessness and meaninglessness that philosophers over the years have said well all you can do is embrace it for instance Bertrand Russell I don't know if you remember him a man who you probably wouldn't want to hang around when he was in one of these moods 
that man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end that they were achieving. That his origin, his growth, his hopes, and his fears, his loves, and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. That's all he could offer. Unyielding despair. And he's right. If this is all an accident, if this is all purposeless and meaninglessness, that is the only foundation. But Paul would answer him Simply saying, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest, that first fruits of all who have died. And as a matter of fact, in Corinthians, he even gives this challenge to the people of that time. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. That Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Now remember, this was the time of the Roman peace, the Pax Romana. People could travel and could ask and could verify. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles, last of all, as though I'd been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. You know, all I can do is promise this. I, I don't know where you are on your journey. I know that on mine, there was a time whenever I had to struggle with the questions about the faith as my head was wrestling with itself and with the message of Christ and with the message of meaninglessness like from Mr. Russell. I can just promise you this, that God does not ask us to surrender our reason, only to honestly use it. Because when you look without prejudging the answer you will find a wealth of confirming testimony. And when you look, you will see through history the weight of the hand of Christ and His presence. See, this is the pivotal point of all of human history on which all of it turns. When both Billy Graham and H.G. Wells agree that one figure is the central point of history, there is a good consensus. 
You see, a world without Christ is a world that retains the practice of slavery, that rejects the equality and complementarity of women and men, that retains the horrors of infanticide and the dehumanization of the other. A world without Christ is a world that is characterized by the human sacrifices of the Aztecs, the gas chambers of the Nazis in Germany, and the ruler worship and idolatry of a modern North Korea. It is only by the light of the sun that we can see these things for the darkness that they are. A world without Christ even is a world without challenge to that old traditional rabbinic prayer. See if y'all would like me to pray this on a Sunday. Blessed are you, God, our Lord, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a slave. Blessed are you, God, our Lord, King of the universe, who has not made me a woman. How would that go over, my friends? But Christ has indeed risen, not just in history, although that is vitally important, but in the hearts of the believers and in the midst of the kingdom at work. And that pivot point of human history is to be the pivot point of all of our lives, both collectively as the body of Christ and individually the pivot point of our lives. We are called into the world to love our neighbors as ourselves, to visit the sick, the afflicted, the imprisoned, the depressed, to act out of compassion and agape or selfless love. We live in a world that still struggles against the darkness, yet the struggle is ongoing against it, where the light of Christ still shines in the hearts and through the actions of those who are truly His disciples. And we are told in God's Word, in Galatians, see if this reminds you of that prayer, but reversed. For in Christ there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Paul's words, he would have learned that prayer from an early age. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and now you belong to Christ. You are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. See, the choice we make as a body and as individual disciples is this. Will we allow Christ to dwell at the center of our lives? Will we enthrone him as the king of our decisions? Will we allow Him to shape and to fortify and buttress against all of the things that would break them apart, our closest relationships, to make them truly loving and life-giving? Will we accept that our actions do have meaning, even eternal meaning, 
and allow God to work the painful yet joyful process of transformation, making us into what God intended for us and made us to be. Will we choose not to just be on the right side of history, but on the right side of His story? Will our hearts ring out with joy at the coming of the King to power and glory? Any of you like blackberry pies? When I was growing up, we had wild blackberries that were bushed out all along our driveway. And it was a long enough driveway that it seemed large to me as a little kid. But I would walk down the driveway, and when they started getting near, I'd I'd look, and green, red, no, those are sour. But if I were going to get the mail or something, I'd walk down, and you would find one blackberry that the birds hadn't got, and that was ripe, and all the others were still green. But you knew as soon as that first one was ripe, you knew that mama's going to make a blackberry pie in a few weeks. It's not too far off. And if they weren't all that sweet, all you had to do was dump a cup or three of sugar on it. And, oh, mm, made me the man I am today. <laughs> See, that's how you know that pie isn't far off when you find that one berry that is ripened before the rest. And that is the direct analogy, not blackberries, but other foods and fruits. Why Christ is called the first fruit of the resurrection because Easter isn't just about what has happened. It's also about what is happening now in the world through the body of Christ. It is about what soon, one day, will happen whenever the joy that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary had at that morning is spread throughout the world and we finally know that God has looked down upon the brokenness and the suffering and said, okay, that's enough. That's enough. This promise is one of new life, of light banishing darkness, of the fulfillment of our deepest held, most sacred desires for reunion that defeats parting, for redemption that heals our brokenness, and for resurrection of life into eternity. That is what this day is about. We praise the Lord on this day. Lord, we give you thanks for this promise that is in Christ, for the promise fulfilled at His resurrection, for the promise that will be His soon coming return, and for that promise fulfilled in us that you are bringing to pass raising us out of the death and despair that this world would place on us and life would try to beat into us and instead giving us life and light to face the darkness, to minister to one another the light and love of Christ and to be to this world 
the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Dear Lord, let it be. Amen and amen.